welcome to this week's episode of The Prestige, a podcast about film, made by film lovers for film lovers. Each week we look at a different movie and we whack some of the themes and ideas that it throws up and we end with our recommendations for further watching based on our film of the week. These past couple of seasons we've been going through different themes and we're going through a season of genres and we've we're coming to the end of our vampire movie season uh, more on that a little bit later but we'd like to start each episode with something on what else we've been watching in the past couple of weeks so rob what about you as i've mentioned previously i've been re-watching the of the Dead series, not a Living Dead series from George Romero. Um, so I've been getting on with that. I've only got a couple of days left and I've got a couple of films to go. Um, but the most recent one I've watched uh, as date of recording is Land of the Dead, which is the 2005 follow-up to Day of the Dead. So it's quite a belated sequel. It's almost like the start of the second trilogy of films he made. And it's it's good. It's not as good as obviously the first three. I think the first three still stand alone as the the best of of his bunch. Um, but it still brings through some of his ideas around class and using sort of the zombie apocalypse as a giant paintbrush to tell stories about other things rather than just being schlock and horror. What is some of that? Um, yeah, it's it's not one for the sort of the the, the light view if you're just into zombie it isn't one of the, the best of his but it is really good i will say from here on out the series takes a dive um it is not it's certainly the uh the last one i'd consider a good film though i may be proved wrong i haven't seen the other two in a while i may come back in next time and go actually i was wrong they're brilliant um but land of the dead is what i've been watching recently what about you sam um i have well it's nothing film-wise, I've been having a look at a few of the things on catch-up services on UK TV, on Dave, and one of the things I've been looking at is Comedians Giving Lectures, which feels very much like it could do with another series before it gets good, but I kind of hope it gets given time, because you see that a lot with TV so TV 40 years ago, things were given time, so things like Blackadder and then even before that, uh, 40 Towers may not have been amazing for the first run, but then people gave it a bit more time. So, and, and nowadays it's a bit more disposable, so you have to have a hit in the first five minutes, otherwise you don't get recommissioned. And I would, this is the sort of thing that, I think with a few tweaks in the format could be quite good. So I'll be interested to see if it if it lasts further than this first series, which is, I mean, yeah, it's it's enjoyable because I like some of the people in it, but yeah, it could be better, and I I would hope that the program makers can see that. As I mentioned, there we are wrapping up our our vampire season. We have been going through it uh, over the last now 10 weeks, looking at every movie over the last 10 decades. And we are ending it with the 2014 New Zealand vampire comedy documentary, What We Do in the Shadows. (laughs) 
It's been like this the whole time. Deacon on dishes and it still hasn't moved in five years. You're a cool guy, but you're not pulling your weight in the flat. Oh, I'm glad to hear that I'm cool. What We Do in the Shadows is a mockumentary uh, telling the tale of three, four, should I say four vampire housemates in Wellington in New Zealand. It is about their interactions with each other, with their familiars, with a new vampire, with some werewolves, and the larger vampire community, and the larger Wellington community. It is very much in the, so we say, the New Zealand humour style. It's from director Taika Waititi and Jermaine Clements, who are more well-known, I suppose, for Flight of the Concords and Thor Ragnarok. But this is something they put together before that. Um, it features the two of them as two of the main leads, um, with some excellent support um, from a whole host of popular Kiwi, Kiwi comedians like Johnny Bro, um, Corey Gonzalez Moucher, who plays Nick, a recently turned vampire, um, and a bunch of other sort of bit part character actors throughout. It is very much a knowing movie, so it, like I think having for me seeing a lot of the movies up to this point, a lot of the jokes landed true. Sam, this is probably the least serious of the vampire films we've watched over the last 10 episodes how did you find it i've really enjoyed this film um i think there are some nice ways in this in, in which this is a callback to some of the other films we've watched and i think it it benefited for me i benefited from having seen things like dracula and nosferatu and then even twilight when he was when Nick is talking about that, when they're out on the town. So is all those sort of intertextual things were, were clever and I enjoyed them. But more than anything, I just think it's a really well-made mm. film. Um, I, I, I liked all the actors in it, the way that they were... I mean, I think the mockumentary style is... I mean, often done, it's done a little bit too much now after people have seen the success of things like The Office. And yet, when it's done well, like it is here, it it's it's a really, it was a really enjoyable thing to watch. So yes, I, I did really enjoy it. I, I, I don't know if I led with it in, in my direction there, but I absolutely agree. I think this is, it's, I mean, I've seen the film before, so this is a, a rewatch for me, but I don't think it's brilliant. I think... All of the the main sort of, main three, shall we say, the main three vampires who we interact with most are absolutely on point in terms of the vampire trope that they portray. Um, and even if you include Peter, like, who is probably the Nosferatu character, you've got. I mean, we've seen it over the last nine weeks. These different eras of vampires, and you're seeing all of them here. Um, Tokyo Titi is playing plays more kind of dandy vampire. We didn't touch too much on that, but sort of the interview with a vampire style vampire wasn't really kind of too much covered but for me i mean i've gone on record before many times about how much i enjoy the new zealand sense of humor and their comedies and this is like right down that channel it's slightly awkward but it doesn't have the way that the office has it's an awkward comedy it's based on awkwardness this doesn't have that it is awkward but it's it's also the jokes are there and it's it's right in my wheelhouse and i think I think I actually liked it more this time than I did last time. And I think that comes from our deep dive into the history. That I understand mm. a lot more. Like, 
not that they were jokes I didn't get before, but being a bit more engrossed in the in the lore of vampires and the history of vampires, especially some of the earlier stuff that I hadn't seen before. Like you see a lot more of what they're playing with here, a lot more of the the meta jokes they're making about the thing, and the things like that. They reference Twilight. He dresses up as Blade um, for the Halloween party, uh, all things like that. I just really, really enjoyed having watched all these films recently. I think it's interesting when you when you're saying about the office there, and I mentioned it is like a, a touchstone in this. It's like you're saying that often. I think why when why this okay when this doesn't work is that what the mockumentary could do is use the awkwardness itself as a joke and mm. you have someone looking to camera and that sort of awkward situation this is awkward that this is happening and it's for it there's a further level of awkwardness in the fact that this is being filmed and you're watching this as a viewer that whole awkwardness it feels like sometimes in lesser mockumentaries that becomes the joke in itself and that wasn't Mm. here at all there were proper jokes and yet on top of that you have a bit of the awkwardness as well but that's kind of kind of like I I kind of forgot at points that I was watching a mockumentary it doesn't really matter that it it is a mockumentary and that's I think was one of the real strengths of this film yeah, absolutely. I, I I would agree. I think it's it's that right kind of balance I found where like they, they do reference this camera crew and obviously with the the sort of the mast mast ball they'll go to in the very end of the film, there are references there being camera crews, um, but it kind of treads that line quite carefully. Um, and yeah, I just I mean I think it just it's hard to sort of sometimes just say I just. I just I just really liked it. I just really liked this film a lot. It made me laugh so much. And I think it's because for me, a lot of it is they just don't break character. And it's that weird mashup of the genres. So it is like, in some ways it is this kind of supernatural horror movie. People do die in it, but like one of the early scenes is literally them rowing about dishes. Mm. Um, And like, we've all lived in shared houses we've been through the students and like that is what happens that is what living with other people is like is rang about who's done the dishes and i really just like that kind of that collision of these two worlds and having done things especially with the movies we've watched recently things like blade and things like twilight where it is so hollywood and heightened mm. now especially in twilight where it lives in this whole kind of world where everything's po-faced and serious and it's all of that and everything's so intense um and the same with you know like blade they're so intense and it's just i like that that, that there's scenes of them doing the washing up mm. and they've thought things through like you know you can't look in the mirror so how do you get dressed well you talk about each other. that kind i really i probably i dug that much, so much more the kind of inherent mm. normalness of it and the orderliness of this and it's that you know we've seen that with with all the genres we've got so far it's like that need to reinvent the genre a little bit and how do you move past things and how do you reinvent stuff and i think sometimes about with this particularly about um this is a left field question but austin powers now the austin powers is playing on a very particular sort of trope but particularly on james bond mm. james bond is is the the colossus of that genre and after austin powers austin Powers basically killed bond until they could find yeah. a new version of bond and they came back with King Royale, which we discussed this previously. And this feels a bit like that for the vampire. Like, how do you do 
Like you can't like after this, you can't do post-face vampires in that traditional westernized way that we've seen. Like the movies that we've seen up to this point can't come after this because like you've been so well skewered that you've got to find something else. I and mean, we have, I mean, we haven't touched them here, but there have, have been other vampire films since this that have gone in interesting and weird places because of what this film, I think, because of what it's done. Um, and I, I really like that. I really like that there's the film reached this kind of pretty much Twilight and Interview with the Vampire, which is one I'm referencing a lot, but we never watched as part of this series. Like it reached this this apex of the genre where it was these colossus movies, um, these juggernauts of franchising. And as we discussed last week, Twilight is not about vampires no. in any real way. Um, and so like where do you go from there where do you go from twilight and it's this this is where you go and it's bringing it back and you inherently you ramp up the absurdity of what up to this point been very po-faced and very serious and very i suppose just very not doubt maybe dour is the word i'm looking for even something like blade i think is a lot of fun it takes itself very seriously yeah. vampirism is yeah. serious um and the closer we've come to it previously with Vampire's Kiss, which is kind of like a, a weird black comedy in its own way. But here, I just it just it reset all of that in the same way that like Deadpool reset the superhero genre for a little bit. And like you, if you poke fun at what it is, you can then do mm. it again afresh because you recognise the tropes. It's it's that meta. It's the scream moment for horror films. It's this is it for vampires, and it's lovely to end our series on yeah. that. Like, you've always gone full circle. And taking it back to the peak of it, and like, well, here's a fresh start, and there's you know, pastures new ahead. I particularly like that, and it's, it's quite near the beginning. We have um, Viago talking about his um, his love for this woman, and then you have the nicely rounded off at the end when she appears. But there's that sort of almost almost po-faced, like you said, that serious moment to camera explaining about this locket. And and you have that like in any other vampire film. That's the sort of serious music, serious expression, looking to camera, mm. explaining about the, the depth of his love. And then you realise that he can't have this round his neck because the metal burns mm. him. And there's something brilliant about that, that he would just... He will because he loves her so much. He will wear it for like five seconds, and then his flesh will burn, and he has to take it off. I, I love that. Even in that moment, I, I, I love the moment because he's like you see him grinning and smiling, and just go that. Yes. he just like he was being happy to be like I'm keeping this going, I'm keeping this going, and it's that kind of it's it's like I say he's not serious. It is that they they take it seriously. They are they don't break character in that way. But it takes that one step beyond. It's like, you know, if you take it so seriously and then another bit more seriously, it loops back into being comedy again. Mm. Yeah. But no, I, I think that for me, as you say, it's it's it nailed all those little moments, all those little sort of intertextual moments, meta moments where it's looking at other stuff. And the, the one that really got me was Blade. They, they have this party just as Blade. So blade is a movie in this world that like they've seen blade and like he's mm. when he uses twilight as references who to explain like what it's like like this is a world where like like scream and they've seen horror they've people have seen twilight it's like you've got to butt up against this real world of like you know they think like the little things like being invited into into um, places they got invite a vampire in they can come in they can't go into clubs 
Yes. And things like that. And it's just like, it's just like that little, which is an interesting little, oh yeah, think about that, becomes this whole bit that I just I really dig. And I mean, for me, having lived in Wellington previously, I loved seeing the little places in Wellington that I know sort of pop up and seeing them walking past it. And I just, yeah, I just really, you know, I really liked it. I really liked all these little moments which they took these tropes. I mean, like the one with the, they had two young girl vampires. Um, and that's a trope you see. We see it in Interview Vampire with Kirsten Dunst's character. And, like the idea of um, Let the Right One In, where they have these kid vampires who are kids forever. And they're just like, mm. they used to hunt um, paedophiles. And it's like, that's an incredibly dark thing. It's an incredibly dark thing that your eternal children who use that to hunt paedophiles in Wellington. But at the same time, it's just, it's played perfectly for laughs. And you do laugh at it and you think, oh, that's terrible, but also funny. I did want to, I mean, this is a a brilliant comic film as we've been we've been talking lots about I do want to talk about one sort of really serious point that it's making towards the end and it's when 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 you have Viago and he is reunited with the woman mm. and it's just the f- and and when um the other vampires what's the name um a Vlad or Deacon Vlad yes 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 when when Vlad's talking about his his relationship with this other vampire, and you just think that old age is brutal, yeah. and that's one of the points they're making in this film. I mean, they're making loads of points in this film. And it's it's a brilliant skewering of so many aspects of modern society and the vampire genre and loads of other things. But one of the points they're making is that this is I mean, old age is brutal. Yeah. And and Vlad says said that to camera, and you think, well, actually, yes. And it's like you say that, like with the, with the child vampires ensnaring paedophiles, it's a really dark subject. And the 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 fact that we're all going to die, this bringing of mortality before, is a really dark subject as well. But it's just handled so brilliantly that you can think, okay, yeah, there's there's a poignant idea being made there, but you know, I'm not going to dwell on that too much because. It's just been been put so beautifully. Well, I think it's also there's. I mean, I absolutely agree, and I, I always say that they, they do also that work with the idea of the impact of immortality of people. Mm, yeah, that the, the that these people have lived and will live forever. Otherwise, you know, anything underworld happens, and so the idea that Deacon would end with um, that Vertigo would end up with this, the age gap between them is is big. In their mind, it isn't because he's immortal, and you know they talk about people, people dying, and there's a very sort of weird and sort of black comedy scene in which Deacon basically says that he was a Nazi, mm. and explains about being a Nazi, and he's like, I don't know if you know, but the Nazis didn't win that war, and I think like that's weird because like obviously people, but like he's what 800 years old, like to him, that was last week. Mm. You know, if you've lived 800 years and seen both world wars and all the wars that preceded them like world war Two, is just another war mm. and it's not this kind of uh, this lodestone that weighs on popular culture in the way it is to people like you, you and me where it's the last big war and we are still being effects of it today like he has this they have this view on history that's so wildly alien to what we know that the the, the juxtaposition of that and say arguing of this is dishes brings this sort of real 
comedic friction that I really like. But you're right, it does take these weighty heavy topics and it takes them seriously in a way that is still funny but still poignant and like yeah you're gonna have a different view on you know well the way that you know spoilers guys when peter dies um in the movie at the hands of a vampire hunter it's weirdly crushing because he's lived for so much through so much that you know if you are a vampire and you are technically immortal death becomes his ultimate terrifying thing because if you and I, everyone else in the world, every real person in the world, like we know at some point we're going to die. You know, we're, we're going to have four school years and ten, however long it is going to be, we're going to, and then, then we're going to die. We have a finite lifespan. Whereas as a vampire, it, avoiding accidents, you have an infant lifespan. So death becomes this even more terrifying thing because you've got so much mm. unlife ahead of you, yeah. you know what I'm saying? And so when he does die, it's so much more sad because of that it was it, it was so sad so and you could see how much it meant to the other characters and how well like you say it's it's particularly poignant because it's such a rare occurrence and yet mm. you think well lots, lots lots of the time throughout the film they're we don't, okay, okay, they're immortal, they're incredibly strong. Put, put all that aside. They're incredibly fragile creatures mm-hmm. because the way they they have to sort of hide themselves from society and you think about when, when the cops come into the house and he he hypnotises them and at any minute they might get discovered. And you think, well... There's something really fragile about that, and the way they have to be, in, like you said, invited into nightclubs and all mm. of these things when they they kind of ostracised from society. And there's something very weak and fragile about that, despite the fact that they're obviously these superhuman, incredibly strong, immortal creatures. Yeah, I think for me that was that was actually sort of um, highlighted, particularly in the character of Peter. Um, because he is obviously the most monstrous looking of the vampires. He is the most old school of the Nosferatu sort of school of vampires. And you do see him when they do have the, the little like, killings, but he does, he's the one who does kill and turn Nick. Mm, yeah. And he can but he is this weirdly kind of cute character, I suppose. He's really kind of sympathetic. He's almost like, not a pet, but he's kind of like a sweet character that they portray him, despite being the most monstrous and clearly the most violent. He is, Somehow, because of his muteness and because of his the way he's portrayed, he's this kind of juxtaposition of cuteness and horror. Yeah, yeah. So, Sam, do you have any recommendations for us? Any any, sh- any movies you'd point us towards having enjoyed this? I do so much as we have. I have a couple. Um, one, I have a feeling Rob wants to mention, so I'm getting there first. And <laughs> say it's another black comedy horror from New Zealand a few years before this um, and it's Black Sheep from 2006 it's great such a it's good great. film yes so if you haven't seen it go watch Black Sheep because it's brilliant my second recommendation is um, based on Jermaine Clement who like Rob says you know from Flight to Concords it's not Flight to Concords he was also in Another film that I believe Rob's seen recently, either influenced by his daughter or for his own viewing pleasure, 
It's from 2016, Moana. Uh, both. It's brilliant, and she loves it. So. <laughs> <laughs> yes, good. So those are my two. Excellent. Well, I wasn't actually going to make... I thought about Black Sheep. I thought about it, but I think <laughs> I probably plugged that movie enough on this show. Um, but I have followed your lead there, and I have gone down the uh, the newly New Zealand black comedy route. But I have also followed um, a couple of actors, and so I'm going to talk about them. So Johnny Broom, who played uh, Deacon in... Is a prolific New Zealand actor, and he actually popped up in a movie that I'm pretty sure I recommended earlier this year. Something I watched in our sort of what we've been watching this week section, and that's the 2018 film Mega Time Squad, which is a New Zealand sci fi comedy about time travel. Um, I won't say more about it because as soon as you get what talking about it, it spoils a lot of things, maybe. But he plays the bad guy called Shelton, he is that same kind of like psychopathic killer but at the same time slightly homely in the way that the New Zealand style can be um he's great in it and I really liked him in both movies and I really like Mega Time Squad I'm sure I've mentioned him before my second recommendation is another actor and that's the actor of Reese Darby who we haven't mentioned much at all in our discussion um but he played the leader of of the werewolves um werewolves not swearwolves um anton who they they are a brilliant like bit part within the movie um and he is he's perfect as the leader of slightly new agey slightly daddy figure of these uh team jacob arseholes yeah <laughs> like he he's he's they're perfect in this kind of vampire world they are the perfect werewolves um he's been in loads of things um he obviously was in like the Concords as their manager but he also popped up in the 2017 film Jumanji Welcome to the Jungle which was the belated sequel I suppose to the original Jumanji starring The Rock in the main lead Reese Darby is he plays up as a um like an NPC I suppose like a, a, character, a character within the game who provides sort of a role for them he's brilliant in it in a kind of that kind of quite upper class quite idiotic kind of way and it's a brilliant brilliant movie the rock is a man i love but jack black um kevin and karen gilliam all really good in this role and it's it finds that fine line between action movie and sort of the fantasy supernatural story of the original jumanji so i'm a big fan of the movie and he was great in it so that's jumanji welcome to the jungle 2017 so, guys, that's us wrapping up our vampire season. I must say, I've really enjoyed it. It's a, I'm a big horror fan, but vampires never been my thing previously, and I've really got on board with it as a genre. How about you, Sam? How are you on it? It's been brilliant. Yes, I well, Rob's mentioned that we seem to have coincided with Halloween um, this year, and in past years we've done sort of a, a mini Halloween season of horror films. Horror film never entirely been my genre, and I have to say I've been warming to it when we've done a couple of um, these Halloween genre sub-seasons. And this has been really good. It's been really good to immerse myself in something like this. So, yeah, really good. Well, guys, we are moving on next episode to a whole new genre, and we're doing something a little bit differently. So... To uh, not to give away spoilers, we are moving on to the high school movie, the high school movie genre, um, and all its multitude of flavors. And rather than going back to the very early days of cinema, as we have done with the last couple of genres, we're going to pick up with 
probably the biggest and most influential film of the genre, 1985's The Breakfast Club. So we're starting there, and then we're going to now. So it's a much more condensed time period, but we're still doing 10 movies, we're still doing 10 episodes. And we're going to be looking at how the movie, after that peak and that kind of codification of the genre, where it's gone since. So we're back here for two weeks' time in The Breakfast Club. Till then, guys, you can find me online at Kaiju FM. Find me at Life underscore Academic. And you can find both of us at Prestige Podcast. And we'll be back here in two weeks' time. In that respect, a bit like, um, what's his name? Neil, forgotten his name, English actor, was in, oh, who am I thinking of? This is a riveting podcast content here, yeah. Sam. Yeah. Right, who's, uh, not, who, uh, right, cut, cut this I'll out. cut all this out, we want. <laughs> <laughs> I know who you mean, but, fair enough. Uh, okay, direct, director of Field in England, Ben Wheatley. Yes. Right, Ben Wheatley did that other really weird film about a, a mercenary who... Kill List. Kill List, yes. Played, played the lead in Kill List. The one who was in space, the other one. Uh, the one called Neil. <laughs> one called Neil. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, uh, so who, who were the main actors in that? Uh, Neil Maskell. That's it. There we go. Yes. I'm going to cut all of this, by the way, but I'm loving it. <laughs>